Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 20. So hear now the word of the Lord. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, Well, this morning, uh, this week, is going to be a little bit different in terms of sermon. That typically we would kind of preach out of a text and, and stay and let the text kind of drive the conversation. Uh, but this week is a little different because we're entering into just a really uh, important season as, as a church. And I wanted to take this morning to take some time to speak to that directly. Uh, that I actually almost thought about pausing from the, the book of Genesis this week. But, um, but I love, this is a really powerful story. And I actually think, uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that this story speaks powerfully to the season and the moment we're in. As, as a church. But I just want to name that, right? Typically we would preach out of the scriptures, but this morning, uh, just with the season we're entering into as a church, is going to be a little bit different than what we typically do. And we're going to let this story speak in a particular way into this moment, the season, um, as a church. And so I want to start with uh, just with a quick update on uh, our permanent home, the building that we're purchasing on Shawnee Mission Parkway in Flum. Um, and the update is the update that's been the update for a number of weeks, which is that Uh, We just continue to play the waiting uh, game. And if you've missed our updates in the past, what we're waiting on is, uh, so we're buying a part of a strip mall at Shawnee Mission Parkway in Flum. And there's there's a number of buildings, a part of that. There's five different owners that own uh, pieces of those buildings. And and what happens in commercial real estate when you have an agreement like this or a, a, a situation like this is all the owners agree to what's called an ECR, which stands for Easements, Covenants, Restrictions which is basically a legal document where we all agree, uh, you know, we mow the grass over here and you take care of this part of the parking lot and here, here's who pays for the light. Like it's, it's sort of an agreement so that those common areas that we share, like the parking lot, the sidewalks, those sorts of things, we have all legally agreed how we're going to take care of those things together. And so it's sort of like an HOA. If you move into a housing addition with an HOA, it's sort of like that. Um, and, and where we're at is we have uh, five different owners, the current ECR that exists on that building, it's like 40 years old, it's 70 pages long, and we're in the process of trying to get a new ECR before we close. And that process has gone well, it's just gone slow, because anytime one of the owners speaks into, oh, I want this in the new ECR, then that has to go back to the other four owners for them to, uh, to approve and to, to agree to it. And here's the deal, it's summer. And these owners, that, you know, they, they have money and they go on vacations. Let's just put it that way. And, and lots of them are gone. And so it's just been a slow, uh, slow process. And so while we continue to wait, we have, we've begun the conversation uh, with the elder team and senior pastors and me and Andrew. Uh, should we close without a new, a new ECR? Um, and, and should we just go ahead, take the old one, and then we can work on getting a new one after we own the building? And we're close to that, but we feel like we're close enough with the new ECR. It's not time to do that yet. And so that's why we're, we're waiting. 
Um, and I know you may have more questions about that. I want you to know I'm going to be up here at the end of service. Any question you have around that, if there's something you want to push into, if you have some interest in the commercial real estate world, uh, I can probably answer that question now, unfortunately. Um, but you can come after service. Any question you have, I'd be happy to answer. But that's essentially where we stand today with our permanent uh, long-term home over on Shawnee Mission Parkway and and Flum. Uh, the second update uh, for this morning that where I want to start, it has to do with this space, the space we're currently uh, meeting in. And, and to back up, because many of you don't know this, this history, uh, last fall we were approached about the space by the church that was meeting in here, uh, New City Church, um, because they were buying a building uh, over on Quivira, and, and they still had over a year left on their lease in this building, uh, and they were buying a new building. And so they approached us hey, would you want to come in and make this your church home, partially so that they did, you know, they could get out of their lease that had over a year left on it. And because we had identified our long-term home, uh, the ownership here wanted us to sign a three-year lease, and we just said, no, we're not interested in that because we have a long-term home um, in place, and so we don't want to do that. And, and so we kind of walked away, and, and they went. They went to two other churches here in Shawnee. Both those churches said no to, to meeting in this location. And so the ownership of New City Church came back to us uh, sort of like late October last year and said, well, can we come up with another agreement um, to get you in the space so that New City isn't on the hook for all the dollars here? And what, what we landed on was uh, they agreed sort of to give us this space very cheaply, so it cost us the same as Trail Ridge. Um, but if the ownership to this building found a long-term tenant you know, that would sign a three- to five-year lease, which we weren't willing to sign, they wanted a 30-day exit clause from that lease um, in order to, to protect themselves in case they found a long-term tenant and they wouldn't lose money in the process. And so we took that to you guys. If you remember last year at, at Vision Night, we said, hey, here's what's in front of us. We're meeting. We're mobile in a, a Trail Ridge. We have our long-term home identified. Um, do you, what about this space? Do you want to uh, enter into, go to a space we own 24-7 but comes with a 30-day notice uh, attached to it? And and that was honestly, that was one of, the, one of my favorite experiences as a pastor of this church because typically ch like, churches are very like, like protective and they're unwilling to take risks. Um, and and you know, so we put that out in front of you. We asked for feedback. And everyone who emailed me from that night, which was basically everyone from that night, which was essentially our entire church, emailed me back and said, let's go for it. You know, take the risk involved. Let's do this. Um, this is a great next step for our church, and, and it was a cool moment for me that, to see the sort of the risk that's in your bones, sort of the culture of, of who we are. Um, that was great. So we moved in last December um, into this, this space. Um, well, at the beginning of, of this summer, uh, one of the churches that initially said no to this space uh, began to reconsider that the building they wanted to purchase fell through. And, and so they began to, to look at other options, and they, they called me to let me know they wanted to reconsider this space. And that church, is, it's Community Impact Church. They meet just down the road at the Ethiopian Church here on 75th Street. Uh, and their pastor, who's an amazing guy, his name's Larry White, uh, called me, reached out to me to let me know uh, that, hey, we're looking at your space again, and just to bring us into that conversation, which is a pretty incredible thing for him. Uh, to do. And when it became clear that their church was very interested in moving into this space, uh, he kept a conversation going with me to see, is there a way where we can work this out where we, Christ Community, could stay in this building until we get our long-term home finished? We might sublease from them or find a way, find an agreement to work to share the building or, or we stay here. And we, we've had a conversation ongoing sort of all summer long about can we find a way to make it work 
so that, you, so that we, Christ Community, don't have to move out of this space and become mobile again before we get into our long-term home. And it was a really, it was a rich and good conversation, which typically isn't possible between pastors and churches. And it speaks to who Larry is um, and the kind of man he is. And so, uh, and yet, like, the conversation progressed. And a week and a half ago or so, it became clear that none of those paths forward were best, best either for him, that they were going to limit their church in, in meaningful ways, and they were going to limit us in meaningful ways as well. And so with no sense of animus, like, like truly brothers, just it's like, hey, this isn't, this isn't going to work in, in that way. Um, and so what that means is because they are interested in this space and want to sign a long-term lease here, which we're not interested in because of our long-term home, uh, that means that they have signed a lease for this space, and our last Sunday meeting here with that 30-day notice clause will be uh, Sunday, September 1st. So we have about four weeks left of meeting here. And then on Sunday, September 8th, we will begin meeting at a new location, which is uh, the Lenexa Conference Center, which is right off 435 and 87th Street. Actually, you know, we consider to move back to Trail Ridge, right? That's where we came from, so there's some comfort there. Uh, but we, uh, Andrew and I both felt the conference center was a much stronger option for, for two primary reasons. The first is that the, uh, the director of events and sales uh, attends our church. Um, I don't know if she'd want to know. She's in this room right now, um, actually. But, uh, but the reason, that's really important because we have so many unique needs on a Sunday morning, and, and we, are, we are at the whim of whoever owns the space we're meeting at. And to have an advocate at that space, like that is, that is priceless. You cannot, and we don't have an advocate like that at Trail Ridge or any of the other spaces we, we've met at. And so that's an incredible blessing and opportunity for us. It provides some stability in the midst of being mobile and being um, uh, un, you know, out of control of ultimately where we meet. So that's, that was the first and, and, and a really important reason. A second reason is that it, there's significantly less setup and teardown required of us at that space than there was at Trail Ridge. Um, and so those of you who remember the giant light trees that we would set up, right? We're not, no, we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, it's gone. Um, so it's significantly less set up um, and tear down at that, at that space. And we're going to send an email out this week that will be a video kind of walking through that space, giving you more information on that space. So that's more in the weeks to come. This morning, I, I want to speak to that move. And just to start by, listen, I know this is, this is disappointing, Right? This is not news that I wanted to deliver, and it's, certainly, it's okay if, if that's how you feel. Like if you feel disappointment, that's okay. Um, and yeah, I can tell you that while this is, this is disappointing news to deliver, I, I'm not disappointed. And I hope you all know me well enough by now. Like I'm not the blow smoke uh, guy. Like I don't, just, I don't tell you things. Like I'm not going to tell you to smell roses if there are no roses. Right? I'm more likely to tell you there are no roses. There is nothing to smell here. Right? That's, that's more who uh, the type of person that I am. And yet like, I can tell you there's, there's just some unique ways God is at work in, in this story and in what's happening that I just see evident. And I'm not disappointed at what's ahead. A couple reasons why. First is that this neighborhood at 75th and Neiman needs a church just like Community Impact. The, our vision is a little bit different in terms of who we want to be long-term. We want to connect Eastern and Western Shawnee, which is why we want to be on, on Shawnee Mission Parkway, to be that connection point. Um, and this neighborhood is a unique neighborhood within Kansas City, and it needs a church that's going to be very intentional about this particular neighborhood. And that's, what, that's the work Larry and his church, Community Impact, are committed to. And so they need this, like, this church needs a home, and this, this, this neighborhood needs a church like this. And, and so that, like, that's worth celebrating for me. And even more interesting to me 
Larry White, uh, the pastor of Community Impact, he, he became a Christian at uh, Heritage Community Church, which is the building our Olathe campus currently meets at. And his, the pastor and wife, whom he's, he was very close to in that moment, was Dana and Mary Kay Halstead. And Mary Kay Halstead sat right in that seat uh, uh, earlier this morning. And so what I told first service was, if Mary Kay has not, had not been such a faithful servant to Jesus all of these years, that would have meant Larry White would have never encountered Jesus at Heritage Community Church, would never have become a Christian, would never have planned a community impact church, wouldn't be a pastor, which would have meant we could have stayed in this building. Uh, but unfortunately, Mary Kay has served Jesus faithfully, and so Larry's kind of like, he's coming over, and we, we're deeply rooted with that church, and that will be a church we are, are deeply connected with as long as we're here in, in Shawnee. So that's what, it's like, you can't see that and not be like, okay, God, that's cool. Um, and, and the second uh, reason, you know, I'm, this is, I'm okay, like, this is, I'm not disappointed, is our last Sunday in Trail Ridge, I don't remember who it was, it was either Nate Hartz or Andrew Campbell, um, and, and those of you who are set up tear down, you know, no one worked as hard as those two guys at getting church ready on Sunday morning from our mobility standpoint. Because one of them came up to me and after last Sunday in Trail Ridge and just put their hand on my shoulder and said, we never have to set up and tear down again. And I like clear as day. I just remember this clear sense. Uh, no, you're not done. And I, it, I don't think it was my pessimism. Right? The Cubs were long eliminated from the playoffs at this point. Uh, the Chiefs were winning. Life was good. Okay, it wasn't my pessimism. You know, some of you, it's your theological category. Maybe it was a premonition. Uh, you know, if I, 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 have, like, I have room for saying, like, God was just clearly speaking to me in that moment. No, it's, this is going to happen again. And so I've thought a lot about that moment, all this time being in the space, knowing we have a 30 days notice. And... And I, as I thought about that moment and, and our return back to mobility, what I, what I know, what I know is true is, is the season of ha- not having a building as a church created in us something that I do not want to ever lose. It made us a certain type of church, a certain type of people. And I want to talk about that this morning. And someone laughs, like you went from Leah to mobile church. That was, that was strange. It was impressive, but strange. Uh, yes, it's a big jump. I almost didn't try to make that jump. And yet, like, that, this, story, this story sets the pace for us so, in so many ways as we enter into this season. And so what I want to do this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this, what this story is, the story of Rachel, Leah, and Jacob. And then I'm going let to let this story sort of set the pace for the season we're, enter, we're entering into. Uh, so let's pray. Uh, Father, I know the news that, that we j- I just delivered is just brand new to a number of people in this room, and it's, it's, it's disappointing, it's hard, it's frustrating, and God, I've sat with that for a couple months, so I'm, I'm just, I'm in a different place, and yeah, I pray your spirit would just lead us forward. God, we, I do not believe that anything catches you off guard. You're not surprised. Um, you knew this, and you have things in mind for us in this season to lead us forward. So God, speak through your scriptures, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our last two weeks in Genesis and the life of Jacob have, have prepared kind of for where the story that I just read is. And so what, what happened in Jacob's life, kind of moment one, but this was the sermon two weeks ago, uh, or actually this is the sermon last week, uh, Jacob uh, wanted to be the most important son in his family. And so he he deceived his father. He stole from his brother. 
and he, he takes the birthright that was owed Esau and, and takes it for himself. And the result is Jacob's father is angry at him. His brother wants to kill him. He's ruined the relationships with his family, which means he's got to go on the run. Right? He's got nothing. He's lost everything. He's on the run. And the story, the sermon that was actually two weeks ago, while he's on the run and he's, he's so broke, he has to use a, a stone for a pillow. Uh, he said, but God appears to him in a vision, stairway to heaven, that God descends the staircase and he speaks over Jacob. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a part of my story of salvation to the whole world. And he, God blesses this lying, deceiving thief who is on the run for his life. And it's just an amazing picture of grace and kindness of God. And so Jacob now here in this story, he's finished his run. He's gotten to his destination, which is a family that's connected to his own family. He knows them well. It's Laban and his two daughters, Rachel and, and Leah. And I don't think there's any better retelling of this story than the retelling that's in the Jesus Storybook Bible. So if you have that, you need to, first of all, if you don't have it, buy it. Um, or all, you know, we'll get it for you as a church. It's an amazing book. But the retelling that Sally Lloyd-Jones has of this story is just perfect to what the Hebrew narrative is getting at. And so I, I want to start by reading the way she tells this story, and she sets the stage for what's going to happen in this narrative. The youngest sister was very beautiful, and her name was Rachel. But the oldest sister wasn't beautiful at all. Some thought her quite ugly. And her name was Leah. Rachel was the kind of girl who always gets invited to parties, chosen for the team. Everyone loved her. And poor Leah, no one hardly noticed her. So you have the state said, and that's what I, I read the, the scripture version of that in Genesis 29. There's, there's a man named Laban. He has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And so Jacob enters into this family. He works really hard for Laban, and he has a lot of success through his his work, so much so that Laban sees the value that Jacob's bringing to his family. So, you know, Laban goes to Jacob, hey, you're a valued employee. I don't want to lose you. What can I give you to, to keep you to, so that you don't leave me? And Jacob, not surprisingly, uh, answers, I want your daughter Rachel to be my wife. And so Laban agrees. Um, only Laban is like Jacob. He's a, he's a heel grabber. He's a trickster. He's a schemer, a deceiver. And so he sets up a plan to deceive Jacob. And when it comes time for the wedding nights, uh, he sets in plan a motion where when it, it comes time for the, the marriage to happen, to be consummated, God's, uh, or Laban sends Leah into the tent with Jacob to consummate the marriage, not Rachel. And it works. Some Leah goes in, Jacob consummates marriage with Leah. Leah and Jacob are now married, not Rachel, because Laban has tricked Jacob. He's deceived him. Now listen, I have no idea how that happened. All right, just it, commentators say, well, man, Jacob got really drunk and he didn't know what he was doing. And then he woke up in the morning, sobered up, and then realized he had married Leah and not Rachel. Other commentators say it's so dark that, you know, you wouldn't have known. And, and that's part of the deception of the plan that Laban um, gave off to trick Jealous. I don't know how it happened. It happens. And Jacob's now married to Leah, the, the daughter who's not loved, the daughter who is, is, is ugly, according to the text. And I, I don't know how, what I find, one of the questions I find really interesting about this story is how, like, Leah had to agree to that. And why, like, why would she? And the text, it doesn't, like, it doesn't talk, it doesn't give an answer to 
to that. And I think that's a part of the point, right? She's, she's forgotten. She's neglected. She's nothing more than a bargaining chip for her father to use to extract money out of Jacob. Right? Just one more example of how she is not important, just a, just a woman to be used by her father. So I don't know why she did this, but it's one more illustration example of how unimportant Leah is to everyone involved in the story. And then things get even worse for Leah, because Jacob, obviously he's not a happy camper that this has happened, and he goes to Laban, he's like, you tricked me, you deceived me. Um, and Laban's like, you're right, I did. Um, and Jacob basically says, listen, I want to marry Rachel. Give me Rachel as my wife. I've earned her as uh, my wife. I paid the wages. I worked for you. And so they agree to, to come up with another plan. And Jacob, eventually he marries Rachel as, as well. And so now things have gotten even worse for Le- Leah because she's, now she's not just a, a second-class uh, sister, daughter. Now she's a second-class wife as, as well. And we've talked about this a number of times uh, you know, there's polygamy in Genesis. That doesn't mean it's endorsed, right? If you read, an, you know, an article about murder in the Kansas City Star, they're not saying, this is a good thing that happened. Do this again. Like, that's not what's going on here. Actually, in Genesis, whenever polygamy happens, it's always a disaster. It's a train wreck, and it is here as well. Um, this is actually the second time that this almost precise example has happened. The first time was Abraham with Sarah and Hagar, and now it's, it's, it's Jacob with Rachel and Leah. And in both, in both accounts... God shows a special attention to the second-class wife, to the forgotten one. Twice, God appears directly to Hagar and, and showers grace on her. And now here in Leah, with Leah, he will do the same thing. He will show unique grace and kindness towards Leah. And you see this verse in verse, verse 31. So right, all this mess happens It's a train wreck. Jacob marries Rachel and Leah both. And then verse 31, we read this. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, not just forgotten, but hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And again, there's a little bit of a cultural distance here, but I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that in in this day and age, at least, one of the primary means that, that uh, gained women respect and, and dignity and importance in a culture was, was giving birth to sons, right? And that's not the same for our own culture, but that was really important in their culture. And so for, for her to be given a son is a, is a huge blessing from God. And you get the sense in verse 32 that she sees it this way and she hopes for a certain outcome from the birth of this child. Here's what, here's what happens. So God gives her a son in verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, which means see a son, right? So she, she has a son, and she names him a son, right? That's, that's what she names him. And here's why she names him that. Uh, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. Right? Her hope is that this son will now mean the husband who hates her, who has forgotten her, who neglects, who neglects her, Right? This is the same experience she had with her father. Now she's given Jacob a son, a huge blessing in this day. Now she'll be loved. Uh, but it doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. She actually is, she has a second son. That doesn't change anything. Things just continually get worse and worse for her. And I love, there is no better retelling of this than Sally Lowe Jones in the, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Here's how she tells this, this reality that Leah walks through. She gives Jacob two sons, and she's still the neglected, forgotten, unloved 
one. Here's how Sally Lowe Jones tells this. No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her. To love her specially, to give her a very important job. One day, God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now, when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her best. She was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. As so God shows special attention to Leah and blesses her with, with a son named Judah, and there's a shift in her, her outlook on life where her identity no longer comes from a husband or a father or a child loving her, giving her value, dignity, meaning, worth, and now it comes from God. Right? This time I will praise the Lord. And it, it, the story goes even further than that because Judah... Uh, will now will begin to occupy a, an incredibly important place in the storyline of the Bible because Judah is the line through which God promises the Messiah. Right, so God takes Leah, forgotten, unloved, neglected, mistreated, hated woman, and says, "Through you, I will bring my son, my Messiah, into the world." Takes an unloved, broken, scheming sinner and says, "Let me invite you into the story of the Messiah." I mean, what is, like, what a story. And this is, like, this has been happening all through Genesis. The one who's unloved, who's forgotten, who is broken, who's irredeemable. That's the one God enters into their story and invites them to be a part of his story of redemption and salvation. And Leah is, this is not just a story about Leah, because Leah is a microcosm of what God wants to do with every human being in the world, to take broken, scheming sinners forgotten, neglected, unloved in this world, and to invite them into the story of Jesus, to invite them into the story of his Messiah. And so I spent this week like, just meditating on the story because there may not be a more powerful illustration in Genesis of God just breaking his salvation into a hopeless situation. And so I've been meditating on that on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, just the season we are entering into as, as a church. So what I want to do is I just want to let this story speak into the season ahead. And I want to, I want to do that. There's two phrases that I just want to, I want to sort of pull out of the story and let's speak into the season of our church. The, the culture that I don't want us to lose in the season ahead. And the first is I want to be a church that is, is gathered at his table. That there was a few weeks ago, uh, someone who came up to me and was like, you know, Genesis has been really good. Uh, the series, and I, I did not expect that. Um, I expected it to be boring, because we know these stories they are pretty boring. Um, it's, a, it's a long book. And yeah, I think one of the reasons why, like Genesis, the, why I love the book of Genesis, is that it's like half a Jerry Springer show train wreck. Right? You got a guy burying two sisters. Like, this is not a good idea, ever. Um, it's half train wreck, and half, like, these incredible moments when God breaks into the world to, this, to people who have just made a mess of their lives, or people like Leah who have been, whose made, life has been made a mess of because of what other people have done to them. And God just like breaks into their life and is like, I'm just going to shower love and grace and kindness on you. Right? It's, like, it's, it's like you're in a train wreck and everyone's yelling at each other, and, and then it's grace. Un, like unmerited, incredible 
grace. And what, like, it's ultimately what we are as a church is we are a community of Leahs who have this story. This is our story, right? Who were sinners, who were broken, who were undeserving of the grace of God. And yet God broke into our stories and invited us to be a part of the story of the Messiah, to eat at his table. And so back, you know, going back 2013, 2014, when Missy and I were, we were praying about thinking through whether or not to stay in Kansas City, whether or not to be a part of, of planning a campus here, Christ Community, or we had another option to go back to, uh, to a church that we knew well, that was an amazing community, amazing place, people we were really com- comfortable um, with. There were two main factors for me that made us, that made me at least want to stay here and plant a, a campus here, plant a congregation with Christ Community. One was, was I like knowing pastor's kids often have a really hard time of it at church. I wanted to do something that, and I was convinced that planning a church or doing this work uh, would give my kids a better vision of the kingdom of God. And I think so far, I think it worked so far. I mean, they're young. We got lots of things to figure out that. But there was a few weeks ago, we were driving on 75th Street. We were driving right by Trail Ridge where we met for two and a half years. And my three-year-old son, Abel, he, uh, he points and yells, yells out, there's the other church. I was like, what? Because you know, this isn't registering with me. And he, I look, and he's pointing at Trailer Ridge. There's the other church. I used to go to that church. Right? And I love that because, like, at some point when he gets to middle school, and he may, this is probably not going to be a conscious memory for him. We worked it into his bones subconsciously. Right? For him, he expects the kingdom of God at middle school. Right? At tra- it's, he's, it's there. You can, church can be there. Right? It's not, you know, the kingdom of God is not, you know, walled off from a, a middle school experience. That was one reason. And I, listen, churches that offer amazing programming for kids, I'm not saying that's not important, but I just, I've seen it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I grew up in a great church like that. Lots of my friends have walked away from the faith. I wanted my kids to have a different experience of the kingdom of God. That was one primary factor for me. And the other is, uh, is I, I care deeply about people who do not know Jesus, who have been hurt by church, who are dissatisfied with the church, fi- them finding a church commun- community that's meaningful to them. And here's the deal. Study after study after study shows that newer churches are more welcoming than existing churches. And the older a church gets, the bigger its budget, uh, once it has a building, the more it has to protect and it becomes defensive and stops engaging the world and starts becoming about itself. And listen, that, that is my biggest fear about us moving into a new building is that we'll see that building as ours, right? Our territory to defend, for, it's, for us to use how we want to use it and, and lose who we are, which is we don't need a space to be the church, right? It's, we're, we need one, right? It's, uh, one thing I want to make very clear is I'm not giving a, like, let's be a mobile church forever. Don't want that. I want a building because I think there's a lot more you can do in that. And yet mobile church created a culture in us that made us aware and, and the importance of welcoming the outsider into our community. It's not to say we're perfect because we're not. We have a long way to go there. But my big, I have a significant fear that when we go into a new building, We'll say, okay, we're safe now. Let's, let's worry about us and forget the world. And when I think back to even like one of the reasons why I became a pastor, why I found the church so, such a compelling place to serve, uh, was when, and I've told this before, but I, I want to tell it again because it was so formative to me. When I was in high school, we started a high school worship service that was only high school students who, who would come to and middle school students. And in that worship service, there were two girls who just, they made it their mission to sit by strangers, whoever was new, any Sunday, right? Wouldn't sit by their friends, but whoever's new, they would grab them, they would talk to them, they would sit by them through the service so they didn't have to feel 
alone. And so the last night, uh, one of the girls, Julie, she was in my class last night, senior year of high school, sort of our last event as a student ministry uh, before we went off to college. We gathered all the seniors into the middle of the circle and everyone else around on the outside, and everyone on the outside could just speak whatever they wanted to about the seniors um, to encourage them before they, they moved on. And there were so many kids who said, my first, my first time at that church, Julie, you sat next to me, and I didn't want to be there. My parents dragged me there, right? I was, I was alone, I did, and you made me feel so welcome and comfortable, and I stayed because, because you sat next to me. Right, this like, simple act of hospitality, which doesn't take a whole lot of effort or work, right? It was this powerful moment because it's a small reenactment of what, what happens with God and Leah, right? As God finds Leah, who's alone and neglected and forsaken, and God just says, I want you to be a part of the story of what I'm doing in the world. I want you to be a part of the story of my Messiah. And every act of hospitality in a church, it's, we're recreating that story in small ways. And I want that spirit to be who we are at Christ's community as, as long as we exist, before Jesus comes back, where people are greeted by name, truly welcomed. Listen, it's not to say we're, we've done it, we're perfect. And yet, like, mobile church forces that in a way, it creates that, that culture in a way, because every week is a mobile church. We had to go to great lengths just to create an environment where people could come into church and feel comfortable. Right? The space isn't ours. We have to recreate it. Uh, you have to set up a chair. You have to uh, put signs up. Right? We had to set our children's ministry um, area up. Right? The, the heavy light tree, which will not be returning, as I've already said. We will not be doing that anymore. We don't have to do that. All of those acts were acts of hospitality where you were doing what Julie did, which was creating a space of comfort for the stranger to welcome them in and to say the story of Jesus. We want it to be your story as well. And listen, the longer we, we exist and the safer things get having a building the easier it will be for a new person to walk in and we stop caring we stop remember like there are leahs all over our city who need to be invited into the story of jesus who are not convinced there is a god who cares for them in the way god cares for leah and every human being who lives Listen again, I don't want to be in the church forever. I don't hear, I'm not romanticizing this thing. And yet, we have a season to make sure we create in us this culture of welcoming and hospitality that we can, we can never lose. And so to do this, to enter into that season with us, two things I want to ask of you. Two ways to engage this. First is, is to learn a name. Right? Use the season to learn people's names. Ask, it's Sunday morning when you stand angry, ask them their name. Remember it next week. Say hi to them by, by name. Write it down if you need to remember. And listen, if you're thinking, yeah, I'm not, but that's not my gift. I'm not gifted at being nice to people or hospitality. Listen, you, you are looking right now at maybe the most introverted person in this church. Although it was fun. We had a th three introverts. We all got together and talked after service. We had a little introvert powwow right here. No one else was included. We just, we were all here by ourselves. But if your thought is like, that's not me. I don't have that gift. Sorry. No, you do. Um, because even like Julie and Elise, I saw them sort of sit by strangers. And I just, you know, I'm going to start doing that. And even me, like introverted me, like my eternal vibe is I don't like you. Get away from me. Right? And as much as I try to get, you know, get away from that, I realize I look more like, I, you know, people, if they had to take a vote, I probably would probably vote me more as like a motorcycle gang leader who's going to run you over than a pastor who wants you to be part uh, of his church. Like, that's probably more where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall. Like, I get that. That's my personality. And yet, even, you know, poor introverted me, like, could, could do those simple acts of hospitality. So just learn a name. Just start one name next week. If there are so many Leahs in this 
world, what are you doing to show them that, that God sees them? And not just that he sees them, he wants to invite them in to his, his story, right? Because we don't, like the story we tell every Sunday morning when we gather here as a church is not just like, come on in, God will tolerate you until you get to heaven and then maybe things will get better. No, it's like God, he takes us from our broken places and doesn't just tolerate us, he invites us to his table, right? Each service here culminates in us eating together at a table Jesus invites us to where his body and blood were sacrificed for us that we might be in his story, that we might be a part of his kingdom. That Learn a name next week to, to enter into that act of hospitality. So one, learn a name. Two, join, join a group. Right, that our church, it's, it's about gathering around Jesus' table each Sunday and then gathering around another table in someone's home or you know, at a coffee shop during the week to pray together, to study together, to enter into life with one another. And this is a season where, you know, Andrew and I, we want to double down on the importance of, of our group life, where we want to improve that. We want to hear from leaders. How can we make that better? How can we better accomplish that, that mission? So if you're not in a group, whether it's a community group, a men's group, a women's group, find a group and be a part of, of that family, of that community. I think the, power, like, the best example of this is, you know, for those of you who've been around from the beginning, if I was to ask you, like, what was your most memorable Sunday for us as a church? I bet everyone would almost, to a, to a person, give the same answer. Um, actually, it was brought up to me this week, unprompted, uh, but it was, it, was, it was this Sunday, right? So it's 6 a.m., I roll into church, Maranatha, and it's the, the gym is 47 degrees, or maybe even colder, I don't know. Because, like, over time, it's going to get down to, like, 20, it was 28 degrees, right? It's, it was really cold. And we're just like, what are we going to do, right? Where are we going to, to meet? And for... For whatever reason, uh, God shut the furnace down in the gym but left it on in the rest of the building. And so we just crammed everybody into this cafeteria, surely breaking uh, fire and safety uh, codes and violations. You know, it's like we just, we just met. We found a place. And, and everyone that I, like, that, is, that was such a, a, memorable, a memorable moment. All right, everyone loved it because it was, it was what the church is. It was just people, right? We didn't need the bells and, and the whistles. And again, like, listen, this is not, I'm not romanticizing mobile church. We do not want to be, we are working really hard to get into our building as soon as we can. And yet there's a lesson in this, in this reality that I do not want us to lose, which is that the, the church is not its bells and whistles. The church is not really powerful ministry programming that we offer to all ages. The church, at the end of the day, is people, people who have been invited out of their brokenness and shame and sinfulness and into the story of Jesus. We've, we've been invited out of our life, going our own way, and into the life at the table. And that by itself, it's powerful. And we have a chance to re-enter into that, to create that culture more and more, where our church is not about the things we do, it's the people, it's the community. And so join, join a group. Uh, because this, this culture of welcoming, of deepening a community, that's, that's what we're going to focus on doubling down into. And, and even though there's disadvantages to mobility, there's some advantages, and we want to lean into those, and, and especially lean into those so that when we move into our new building, we're ready. Like, we're a hospitable church. We're, we have a, de a depth of community here um, that we've leaned into while we've had to, to step away from other, other things. And yeah, like ultimately, you know, we can gather on this table, we can be a really welcoming church, we can be a church of deep community, but none of that matters if, if we're not what's at, at sort of the, the heart of this passage of, of Leah, which is we want to be a church that practices the way. Here's what I mean by that. The commentators, uh, commentators know, and I mentioned this, and what Sally Lloyd-Jones so beautifully illustrates 
is that what you see in the story is Leah shift away from a story where she's, she's locating her identity in her father's love or in her husband's love or in a child and locating and moving it to an identity that's rooted and founded in, in God and God alone. That's what you see with the names of her children. Right, Reuben is, see a son, like now my husband will notice me. To Judah, I will praise the Lord. That's where my identity is rooted. Right, and when we see like this story, this, this, this story Leah has, which is this move from being a forgotten, you know, a little bit of a schemer and dishonest herself, dealing with the heartbreak of a father who, who abuses her, a husband who does not care for her, into a life of praise, into the story of the Messiah, it shows you what happens when you build your life around the way of God and not your own way. Right? When your life is, is oriented around the story of the gospel and not your own story that you're creating for yourself. Right? This, this, this story to me so powerfully illustrates what the gospel is offering us which is you don't have to live there anymore. Instead, you can move into the story of the Messiah. And yet how many of us, our lives, every second of them, are lived out in the story of the gospel, in the story of Jesus, in the way of God? Or how many of us, like our week, we, we create our own stories, our own meanings, right? We, our own identities, our own paths forward. And we feel like, you know, one of the things that... I think that mobile church is at least forced on me is, is just keep it simple. And at the end of the day, all we have as a church, all we are as a church is our people who believe the gospel and try to live it out. Every day of our life, every second, right? We've been oriented out of our own story and into the story that is God's, the way of God. Because if we're not that, like if that's not what we're doing, then we're just some like weird book club on Sunday mornings with donut holes, Right, we just pick the Bible as our book. Like that's all we are. Like if we're not if we're not practicing the way of God, entering into the story of the gospel, then we're just a strange book club with better snacks. And I don't want to be that. And Andrew and I, we've done a lot of, of thinking because we feel like we have a lot of ways to grow here. And, and a part of, of why mobility, I'm okay with that, is because it, it forces us to sort of withdraw back and really think. Right, like what classes, what teaching are we maybe not providing that we need to be providing to help orient ourselves into the way of, of God? What, how can we better leverage our groups so that they're not just hangout time, but we're actually we're entering into the way of Jesus together? How can we, we be a church that we're just gathered at Jesus' table, practicing his way, going wherever he leads us? And we have some space to think about that. To talk, it's not just me and Andrew. That's a congregational-wide conversation. How do we do that better? And again, don't hear any, I'm not, I'm not trying to romanticize uh, mobility. Um, I did not want to do this. I did not want to re-enter into this season. Um, but I will not waste this season. A season where we can make things simpler, where we can deepen in community, enter into a season of conversation of what it means to practice the way of Jesus, to be gathered around his table together, so that when we enter our building, we're ready that we will not lose who God has made us in those seasons of having less and setting up and tearing down so that when we have more, we are a community gathered at his table practicing the way of God. Because ultimately, we don't exist to own a building. That's not why we exist. It's not a part of our purpose. That we exist as a church to create an alternative community to this world. A community that's, that's centered on Jesus, where every person is known by name, their story matters, where all of us have an unshaking conviction that God desires every person in this world. He's relentlessly pursuing them. No one is hated by God, right? There's no Leah's in God's story. 
And we will use our lives as best we can to be a representative, king, a representative of the kingdom of God to this world. And we want to create a, a community that tells the story of the gospel to the, to the world around us. And I think to me, like the best illustration of this, or just to leave us with a story of where this has happened, this is happening here, uh, is there was a few weeks ago, there were going to be a, a couple of kids who, uh, who were going to be with us for just two weeks for, for children's ministry and and like me, when I was a kid, they did not want to go to church. They did not want to come here. Um, and some of it was that, you know, their own personal life is just really hard. Their parents are going through a divorce. Uh, the dad, in particular, telling their, their kids there's no God, right? It's, church is a waste of time. And so they came here not wanting to, like, not wanting to be here. They came in for the first week. Even one of the kids ran out of children's ministry. It was, you know, some fun chaos. <clears throat> they were here for two weeks before they went back home. They don't live here in, in Kansas City. Two Two weeks. And as they, were, uh, as they were getting ready to go home, they were telling their family, uh, one, we want to we go to church when we go back home. And they were interested in the Bible, the story of God, the way of God, what Christianity is two weeks with us. And that's who we want to be. And I don't, maybe we, that would have happened if, you know, we'd had a building from the beginning, but I don't know. Because a lot of churches, when, they, when you have the bells and whistles, you forget about kids like that who come in. And who need to be told, like, there's a story that's better than your own that God is inviting you into, right? We're all Leah's at the end of the day. And so uh, the best way I think we can, we can conclude a moment like this is, is actually to gather around the table of God, the way of God, right? The communion table where we're reminded what, what brought us into this place is his body was broken for us, his blood was shed